Kia This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Welcome to Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM. I've been wanting to do that for so long. Uh, my name is Dan, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm the um, the chairperson for today's meeting. So you can all say hi, Dan, if you want to. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. So um, what we'll do is we will open the meeting with the serenity prayer. So if you'd all like to join me. God. 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 And, and the wisdom, wisdom to know, know the, the difference. difference. All right, I'll read the AA preamble now. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. All right, so in the studio today we've got a, um, a, an all-star group. They're not con- necessarily connected to a particular home group this, this month, uh, but they've come out in the, um, the last dregs of winter to, uh, to share with us in the studio. So what, what I'll do now is just to set a bit of a theme for the meeting is I'll do a reading from the book Alcoholics Anonymous, referred to as the big book, and I'm going to read a section, the beginning of chapter three, more about alcoholism. <clears throat> if you want to find it or read along, if you've got a book, it's on page 30. So I'll start reading that now. Chapter three, more about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterised by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralisation. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. We are like men who have lost their legs, they never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, 
followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. All right, so that was a reading from Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. All right, now I will invite Victoria to share first. Thanks, Dan. Um, Kia ora, I'm Victoria. I'm an alcoholic. Hello, Victoria. Um, It's cool to not be behind the decks. Uh, Dan is very professional and has a good radio voice. (laughs) I sometimes remember to turn people's microphones on, so... (laughs) Good to not have that pressure. Uh, Listening to that reading, the first thing I thought was, I'm a pickle that can't turn back into a cucumber. That was kind of the message I got from that reading. Uh, And I was just thinking about experience, strength and hope and and what I wanted to share today. And I think I always appreciate when people talk about how they felt because everyone's drinking looks different on the outside how we drank, how much we drank, what we drank, who we drank with, where we drank. Uh, All looks different, but what I can always relate to is how people feel. And during my drinking, I felt profoundly lonely. I was always surrounded by people. I was a very social drinker for most of my drinking. Uh, I was a bit of a party girl and I was always surrounded by people but I was always profoundly lonely and I remember this really intense feeling. It was like broken glass in my stomach after every party, after I got home and just (laughs) getting home and just that feeling of utter deflation and utter loneliness and um, going, oh gee, it's just me again. I'm alone with my thoughts again. I'm alone with myself because I didn't like myself very much. Actually, that's putting it mildly. I really hated myself and I... There was a lot of shame in my drinking. I did a lot of ridiculous, embarrassing things when I was drunk. You know, I once peed in the middle of someone's floor. Uh, (laughs) And then I was really confused when he never called me again. And I said to my friend, who was a mutual friend, I said, why do you think so-and-so never called me? And she said, he told me, but I don't want to (laughs) say. And then later I figured out, oh, I think it was probably that. Um, And, you know, that's a funny example, but there were a lot of not very funny examples involving, you know, violence and lying and stealing and cheating and all that kind of stuff. Um, Not very funny examples. And as my drinking went on, the examples got less and less funny um, and became more and more shameful and sad. And... I was very lucky that I set my life on fire quite quickly. Um, After five years of drinking, I completely crashed and burned and I ended up in rehab. And I always uh, stress to people that you don't have to end up in rehab to stop drinking or be an alcoholic. Uh, But for me, I just kind of needed to be locked up, (laughs) which was good. Um, And it let my mind clear. And the most important thing is that it let me relate to other people. So I met other people who had a problem with drinking and I was able to relate to them and because I didn't think I was an alcoholic but I was able to look at other people and go oh they're an alcoholic so then when they would share their story with me especially how they were at my age I would go oh gee it's a progressive illness like I uh, I'm not under a bridge 
drinking out of a paper bag, but I am in the early stages of alcoholism and I haven't lost the partner and the kids in the house because I don't have any of those things to lose. And I'm sure if I acquired them, I would then lose them. So that was a really powerful lesson to learn. So by the time I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I think I was ready. Uh, I knew that I couldn't drink. And I always talk about I was looking for a way out. I was looking for a third way because I knew, I only knew two ways. The first way was drinking. um, And I knew that that wasn't going to be the go. And I, I sometimes share about this, that it wasn't, for me, it wasn't actually the consequences of my drinking, even though they got really, really bad. It was that drinking stopped working for me. Um, and that was an incredibly lonely place because the thing that had always been my comfort and my go-to and something I could rely on, the only thing, sometimes I felt like it was the only thing in my life I could rely on. And it was my best friend. And then all of a sudden it stopped working. I couldn't get drunk enough or high enough to feel good. Um, and that was really scary because I thought, gee, what do I do now? I don't have anything else. And so I knew drinking wasn't the go. And then the second way I knew was to be a dry drunk, um, which is an expression we use to refer to when someone isn't drinking, but they're not addressing their alcoholism. Um, And that was horrible and it made me want to kill myself. It was awful. I was just angry and scared and resentful all the time. And my behavior was sometimes worse than when I was drinking. Um, Because for me, it's not the alcohol, it's the disease. And I couldn't live like that. So I thought, okay, well, I can't drink and I can't live in a way that makes me want to kill myself. So I need a third way, you know, I need a new way. And I just had an inkling that maybe AA could offer me some third way. And I turned up to my first meeting late and I said, am I in the right place? And everyone laughed and I got really angry. because I was like, why are these people laughing at me? How dare they? And I had dressed up to the nines for my first meeting And later one of my friends said that he thought I was a Stepford wife because I was like all dressed up and I was very like robotic and I had a wall up and I was kind of like, his not cat in the corner, like get away from me, don't talk to me. Even though I was so lonely and desperately wanted friends. Um, But even though I was a bit annoyed at people laughing at me, I listened to the stories and I did relate straight away. And I was a little bit horrified that everyone was normal because my hope was I'd turn up everyone was a man under a bridge and I could go sweet I'm not one of these people (laughs) I can go home and I don't have to do this you know so then when people were normal and there were women and there were young women I went oh crap now I have to (laughs) I do I think I might actually belong here um and I wasn't used to belonging anywhere and some women took me for coffee afterwards and let me ask all the stupid questions about the program and they told me the ropes, um, which was really helpful. And I got a sponsor straight away and started doing the steps. And then I proceeded to do everything wrong. <laughs> I did all the wrong stuff. I dragged my feet with the steps. I sometimes wouldn't show up to my home group. I slept with people in the meetings. I would hang up the phone on my sponsor. I would leave meetings. I I just did like everything wrong. And it's a bit embarrassing, especially for people who know me from back then. However, 
I'm very grateful that I did all that because now I sponsor women and I can say, I won't, I don't just wag my finger at them and say, don't do this, don't do that. I can say, oh, I did that. And it was a really bad idea. Um, So they can learn from my experience. And that's one of the beautiful things about this program is that other people can learn from my experience. And it means that I don't regret the past because every kind of bad or shameful thing that I've done can be used to help someone else and I just think that's amazing and it's helped me completely transform my life and today things are really really different and I've been coming on this show for a long time and as some of you who listened for a long time will know I relapsed after three and a half years of sobriety and now I've got three and a half years and things are really different now you know like after I relapsed I had to really shake everything up and I had to really kind of question what I was doing and what I was here for and how I wanted to live my life and for me the thing that changed was I started welcoming God into my life because before I'd done the steps so I'd had a spiritual experience I wasn't drinking I was doing some of the steps but not all of them And I believed in God and I knew I was an alcoholic, but I wasn't really putting the two together. I wasn't really inviting God into my life to keep me sober and to um, help me with my life because the first step says we're alcoholic and our lives are unmanageable. And I wasn't inviting God into those two sections of my life. I wasn't asking God to keep me sober and I wasn't inviting God into my life to help me. Um, So what happened is life got really unmanageable. And I wasn't doing all the steps, so it meant that I wasn't dealing with it. And the way I describe it is spiritual gunk. Like I was just getting this kind of spiritual mucus building up in my system. And it got to the point where I couldn't breathe and I felt like I had to drink. Um, So that was a really, once again, you know, that experience, I don't actually regret it. I mean, it's a shame that I'm not seven years sober, but I don't regret it because I can share it with other women. Um, and hopefully they can learn from my mistakes so they don't have to do what I did. Um, but today life is, oh man, this makes me want to cry. <laughs> um, life is wonderful. Life is so good. You know, I have my family back in my life. I have wonderful friends. Um, they talk about how this fellowship will be a bright spot in your life. And that's true for me. You know, my AA friends are absolutely amazing and I love going to meetings and I love doing service. And very exciting things are happening. I'm going to go overseas and I'm going to be very sad to leave everyone. And I'll be sad to not be doing this show anymore. That'll be um, that'll be unusual. Um, and I will miss doing it, especially with Dan. And I'll miss Wellington AA um, because it's been my home for seven years, you know, like it's been everything to me. So um, that'll be difficult. But you know, that's part of sobriety is that we get to do things that we never dreamed of. And people always say, you don't get your old life scrubbed up new, you get a completely new life. And that's certainly been the case for me, you know, like I've been able to do all the stuff I never thought I'd be able to do, you know, I've been able to work full time, I've been able to work in a really challenging sector that I never thought I could kind of handle. I've been able to go back to university, I've been able to have really good relationships with my family, I've been able to have romantic relationships um, and now I'm going to be able to travel and hopefully live overseas. I I keep saying hopefully because I'm a bit of a pessimist. So I'm like, right, either this is going to work or it's not going to work and I'm going to come home with my tail between my legs. Um, But even if the second thing happens, at least I would have had a good experience and then I can come home and be happy at home. So 
Um, so yeah, I really can't fail. It's it's um, whatever happens, I think I'll be I'll be okay with it. Um, and yeah, this program has taught me how to be okay with it, um, which makes me less scared of the future because I know that I'll be okay and I know that AA will always catch me when I fall. And um, I've got a little instant family wherever I go, um, which is a wonderful thing to have. And I think I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. This is uh, Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM, and this is Alcoholics Anonymous Meeting on Air. Now, if you are listening, uh, either on live on the air or on the podcast, and you want to get in touch with AA in New Zealand, there's, uh, the, the best way to do that is probably on the website, aa.org.nz. So on there, there's lots of information about how to get to a meeting. It's got a quiz on there. You, it's got ways to contact people from AA. So there's a phone number, 0800 229 6757 is the phone number. And it's a free phone number, of course. Uh, there's an email address, help at aa.org.nz. And there's a nifty little thing on the website which you can use to find a meeting anywhere in New Zealand. You can select your city, the time of day you want to attend, and click on Show Meetings Now. And it comes up with a, a list and a map of all the different meetings there are around New Zealand. So uh, some of those are live meetings and some of them are online meetings, so using uh, Zoom. All right, well, um, let, let's carry on with the, with the sharing. So um, I will now ask uh, Megan to share. Good morning, I'm Megan, I'm an alcoholic. Hi Megan. Um, grateful to be here this morning, a little bit of a different scenario for me, it's my first time doing the radio show, so um, yeah, so there's a little bit of nerves, so if you hear a little bit of nerves, that's what that is, <laughs> um, but I came into the rooms at the end of last year um, knowing that I had a problem and things were getting pretty unmanageable, um, but I didn't want to admit to anybody that you know, I was an alcoholic, I would say it and then I would still continue to drink and it wasn't until um, the typical scenario as many alcoholics do completely crash and burn your life and that's what happened to me is I, my then partner kept telling me, she kept saying you need to go to AA you need to stop drinking, you need to stop you know, spending our money that we don't have on drinking and then lying. And I'd become a shell of myself. I don't even recognise that woman anymore. She um, she would lie and steal and hide. And I had drinks stashed all around the house. <laughs> and, my, and I laugh out of, you know, a bit of uh, remorse and a bit of um, insanity. Like it's, you know, part of what we talk about in AA is the insanity about drinking and what we think we're getting away with when we're actually not. Um, and so that's been a really, really hard thing to deal with, going through a separation um, of my own causing. Um, it got so bad that my uh, ex-partner changed the locks and locked me out pretty much. And um, in a whirlwind of craziness, I threw the bags up in the air that she had packed for me. And I was like, <laughs> threw the clothes all over the deck and threatened to take the cats with me. I had nowhere to go. I don't know what I was going to do with two little kittens. But I was like, you're not keeping the cats, <laughs> you know. Um, and it just, you know, I didn't know at that point I was really, really sick. And I had 
opened the door to AA, crawled in the rooms. Um, we call them the rooms, which is just what we call for our meetings. Um, I got asked that by a friend yesterday. Um, and I would sit there, I would listen, I would never share. And if I did share, I probably lied most of the time about what was really going on for me because the truth was becoming harder and harder to deal with. Um, when somebody looks at you that you love, and I had no idea why I was behaving the way I did. Um, I know now it was because I was sick, but I used to have in the mornings, I would know how bad I was the night before because on the nights where we'd gone to bed and everything was okay or all right or not terrible, she would make my coffee in the morning. And on the mornings when I knew I'd gone too far or said something I shouldn't have, um, there'd be no coffee and I'd get a very, um, very unwelcoming morning. <laughs> and so I knew and it still didn't stop me. And she said to me, you've got to stop. And I just couldn't. And so I tried to um, get some help. And um, at the first point, I was told that I wasn't bad enough. I did an assessment with um, the alcohol and community drug team in Newtown. um, And I begged them for help. And because I was able to get myself sober and keep myself sober for three weeks, um, I wasn't deemed bad enough. So what did I do? I went on a complete rampage until I was bad enough. and once my partner had kicked me out and I was in town and I was just, you know, I had, it was just crazy. Um, I ended up in hospital. And by that point I said, will you take me now? <laughs> and sure enough, that time around there's, you know, when you're in a, a hospital gown because you've got no real clothes with you and you're, you know, so withdrawing that you can't even hold a pen. Um, Cause that's one of the things I didn't realize. It was when the physical side of alcoholism kicked in is when I knew I was really sick and that was when um, I would need a drink in the morning to get over what I'd had the night before to stop the cravings and quite, uh, not the cravings, sorry, the shakes and um, and then quite often I'd vomit that up, you know, so my body was literally rejecting what I was doing to it, it was saying stop putting this poison in me but I still kept doing it. Um, and anyway, so sitting in a hospital, I thought that was my rock bottom. <laughs> I was sitting there, didn't have any clothes, didn't have any money, um, didn't know who I could trust to call in the state that I was in. You know, they had detoxed me overnight, um, you know, by watching me. And, you know, I was just a complete shaking, sweating, you know, shell of myself. And I had to go to Wins. And so I'm really, really grateful. And this friend of mine... Um, she saved my life and she's probably listening so good morning you know who you are <laughs> but she came with me to wins and she had to write the forms for me because I couldn't even write you know it was just it was ridiculous and um so you would think that that would be my rock bottom but no it wasn't I <laughs> then started coming into the into the rooms in Wellington and that's where I really felt like I was part of something um I met my sponsor and when I went the second meeting I was a day out of hospital and I just sat there and I cried and cried and cried and one thing that always I always do is if a newcomer comes in the room don't be shy because we'll look after you um I finished that meeting you know red faced bawling my eyes out you know could barely even sit in the chair I was so uncomfortable with myself and I looked up and I had a group of women all around me all ready to give me their numbers and say how can we help or we will help you or do you have a big book do you have a sponsor where are you living are you okay you know and so every single time I see a newcomer now um I'm only six weeks sober so I'm not in the position to sponsor or to give any real help yet but what I do do is give them a hug and say you'll be okay whereabouts do you live these are the good meetings I'll see you there and I did that earlier this week for someone who was new 
and I could just tell that, you know, it made it so much easier for her to come the next night knowing that I'd said, come to this meeting, it's really good, I'll see you there. And then I knew I had to go <laughs> myself as well because I was like, I've told a newcomer who came in and said, I'm only one day sober and, you know, I'm not quite too sure how this works or, you know, and I told her a few things and because it's really important when you first come in, you know, you're not in a good space. Um, I always say now that you sort of notice the newcomers, we generally cry through the whole first meeting. I don't even know if I made any sense, but it took from, it took a while for me. Um, I would get up to three weeks here and then I'd relapse and then I'd get up to three weeks again and then I'd relapse again and unfortunately I had a really bad round of COVID and any alcoholics listening will know that isolation is not a good place for an alcoholic, especially not in the early days of recovery. And on top of that, I was heartbroken and my ex-partner, you know, wouldn't talk to me and all I wanted to do was talk to her and make it all okay. And I couldn't make it okay because I'd stuffed it up really, really badly. <laughs> and that's something I have to live with now. And it's a really hard thing to swallow. Um, I'm even welling up a little bit now just thinking about it. Um, but yeah, it just... And until I was ready, until I was really ready, and until the night that I got a bottle of wine, poured a glass, drank a glass, and then went, what the hell are you doing? Tipped it out, sat down on my knees and said, you know, whether it was God or whoever I was talking to, and it was, I sat down on my knees and just begged for help. And I just cried and cried and cried. And then a couple of days later, I said to my sponsor, I'm ready now. I wasn't ready before. And I even said to my counsellor, I said, oh, I'm ready now. And he's like, oh, one thing you may or may not know, but you get breathalyzed every time you go to your meeting with, with the CADS team. And I was like, I'm going to be zero. I know I am. And I was so proud of myself because I knew that I could do it. Um, and yeah, so it's been a really, really interesting journey. Probably the, the toughest things I've ever done. Um, I've had a, up until last year, I've had a strong career where I was always perceived to be the strong one. Um, my younger brother, who is incredible, came to a meeting with me and he's like, it's just like your church, Megan. And I said, it is like my church. And I now literally hop and skip and jump to meetings because I know that there'll be a friend there or, you know, it's amazing the friendships I've got um, who I never would have come across in normal paths. Um, and, you know, where there's a group of us that are artists, we're all alcoholics, but we're also artists as well. And we all share and talk about what art we're working on. And that was what I was looking for because like what was previously shared is it's a really lonely life when you isolate yourself and you never know whether you're sober or drunk or hungover or <laughs> waiting for the, the next drink or, you know, waiting to finish work so you can go and get, you know, a wine on the way home, you know, like it was just, just insanity. Um, and that was, you know, well, coming up with an excuse to go to the supermarket, oh, I need coriander for this thing that I'm making. You know, I always had a reason to go to the supermarket. And the worst thing about my vice being wine is it's just everywhere. You know, you can't hide from it. You know, I used to jokingly say, I wish I was addicted to some hard drug to find, but I'm sure that you, you know, end up finding your own way anyhow. Um, but yeah, so that's my story. So this year has been an incredibly, incredibly hard year and I couldn't have got here without AA without knowing at any given time I've got probably up to 20 women I could call. Um, and if not, you can call the, you know, as Dan was talking about the 100 AA number. And sometimes I just call them to thrash out problems related to being an alcoholic. Like yesterday, I called to say, I've got to break up with my doctor today, I think. <laughs> and I just talked about it and said... I don't want to be on lots of medication. And then I told my doctor, I said, oh, unfortunately I had the same doctor for 10 years and she went and retired on me this year, the one year I need her. But anyway, so I had a new one. I have a new one. And I just had to say yesterday, um, my mental health suffers 
from my drinking, it's not the first thing. The first thing that we need to work on is getting keeping me sober and, you know, helping me through my recovery. It's not, you know, I wouldn't end up, I haven't ended up, thank, by the grace of God, I haven't ended up in the psych wards or even in the detox wards. Um, so my story is, you know, I haven't gone to rehab, even though I begged them. I said, can you just put me, put me somewhere, fix me up and pop me back out? But they don't do that. You have to, I don't know how, how you get them to do it, but they don't. <laughs> so if you're thinking that's the answer, it's not the answer. You have to do the work yourself. And um, working through the steps is really challenging. And earlier this week, I'd convinced myself I was already at step four, which I'm actually not. And so I had to ring my sponsor and say... I've been panicking about step four and she's like, hang on, <laughs> we're not even there yet. So don't, you know, don't jump ahead. And I had spent the whole day in a complete, and the best thing she said to me was, what's going on? Talk to me. Because here I am trying to, you know, overachieve being an alcoholic um, because that's what I did in my life. I, you know, was the top sales person in one of my jobs. I ran, you know, really successful, busy restaurants. And I was like, I've got this, and but I don't. I need as much help as I can get. And if it means every day talking to someone from AA, even just going for a coffee or, you know, going to two meetings a day. So this week, you know, it's, it's hard. And so I've gone to two meetings most days and you feel better. So if you're thinking about coming to a meeting, just come, we'll look after you and you will feel better because you can't feel any worse than when you're at home by yourself drunk, you know? So, um, yeah, so that chapter is really important for me as a newcomer because it, you know, talks about the sort of side effects of alcoholism and I didn't really realise just how sick I was or what I was doing to myself. Um, You know, there'd be days where I wouldn't eat, you know, I wouldn't do anything apart from just drink and then I'd get up and drink again and it was just awful and (laughs) we often all have a laugh about this in the meetings about how you don't want to go to the same shop all the time so that they don't know (laughs) and because my place was usually the supermarket, there's so many supermarkets, nobody would know, you know, in my mind. I was like, until my friend said to me, you've been walking around town pretty drunk some days. People probably have noticed, you know. And I was convinced, you know, we think we're superpower and, oh, no, that's not, you know, that's not me. Um, Nobody knows that I'm drinking as much as I'm drinking. People knew because, you know, your voice sounds different. If you've been drinking and somebody calls you that knows you, you don't sound normal and you don't respond normal, you know. You actually, you know, one my dad said to me one time, he's like, can you call me after work but call me before you have any wine? Oh, oh, because I couldn't even just stop at one. And that's the problem with alcoholics is we can't drink normally. And so therefore you have to take it away. Um, When somebody asked me once, (laughs) what's your plan here? Do you want to be able to be a normal drinker or do you want to stop drinking? And I was like, I don't think I can be a normal drinker. Um, It never was, you know, my earlier years it was fun and I'd go out socially and I'd, I'd go too far but I was out and I was partying and you know I was having a good time whereas by the end of it I was just generally drinking by myself and if I did drink socially I controlled it usually or I thought I did so that I you know or I'd either have you know have a stash at home so that once I got home I could you know top up from whatever I'd had you know it was just miserable very very miserable and you know um you do hear stories of people that have lost everything and I haven't lost everything. I've still got people in my life. Um, But yeah, I could see, I could see it coming and I'd see the people drinking on the streets or people that were homeless and I started to be terrified and that fear is what got me to go to meetings all the time and what gets me down on my knees when I can't sleep, when I feel like I can't control it and just 
beg God to look after me. And that's all I say is keep me sober and look after me. And then I say what I'm grateful for. And that could be anything from not having to put blusher on because I'm not pale and throwing up all the time now. I can actually just, you know... um, Bear, have bare skin and just a little bit of makeup and it's not, you know, I'm not trying to hide from myself and um, in a meeting the other night we talked about the person in the mirror and by the end of my drinking I didn't like what I looked like I was suicidal, I was depressed, um, you know, I was just blowing everything up and not listening to anybody because I knew better and of course I didn't know better um, yeah, so yeah, I'm Probably, that's probably about right. And um, <laughs> I really love AA and I am forever grateful for everybody who welcomed me with open arms and, you know, all the laughter and all the tears and don't worry about crying. I've cried and, you know, <laughs> in so many meetings and I make sure I've always got tissues um, and it doesn't matter. We're all just people that are all trying to look after each other and get help, stay sober and live a better life um and I used to think oh I never used to be like that or you know I can get back to how I used to be but I don't even want to go back to who I used to be I want to be someone who is stronger and the only way I'm going to get stronger is by staying sober and being part of AA so um yeah I hope you picked up some pearls of wisdom from my story and if you relate to it you probably should come and see us <laughs> and um I hope you all have a good weekend and um take care right <clears throat> thanks Megan this is uh Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM and this is Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air live in the studio uh so we do have a Facebook presence as well uh, we've got a, a Facebook page, it's called AA On Air Wellington. And every now and again, people message us, and sometimes we read them out. Now, back in May, we did have meetings in uh, June and July, but uh, they weren't. Um, we weren't in the studio for them. So uh, we got a message in May, and I promised I'd read it out, so I will read it out now. So this is, uh, it says, Hello, AA On Air Wellington. I'm in Melbourne and four months sober. I love your podcast, which I listen to on Spotify. I often walk the dogs listening to you. Your show has been really important to me over the last four months. I feel grateful I've found you. The shares are so diverse and heartfelt. Thank you so much. Lots of good vibes from the West Island. And that's from Marina. So thanks, Marina. Uh, We really appreciate you sending that message in. And it's nice to hear that... You can access us on Spotify as well, which is another method you can you can use to, to listen to us. All right, well let's um let's carry on with the sharing now. So Wayne, would you like to share? Sure. Yeah. I'm, um, my name's Wayne, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Wayne. It's uh, a lot easier going going at the end. I've been the grand finale because you know I can relate to a whole lot of um, what have been what has been said. Um, yeah, pretty much heard my own story, except um, I didn't have a cat. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's basically it. That's what I'm, I'm a good listener, but um, yeah, um, I, I, I find that I find that in every meeting I go to, I just hear my story over and over again, and that's a it's a comforting thing, but it's also very confronting. Um, but it's um, it's it's amazing, and, and you know, just kind of um, hearing hearing some of sharing today about you know. Um, having this kind of perception of what an alcoholic is before you come into the rooms, you know. It's um, uh, the day before I came into the rooms for the first time, um, I went to an important interview and um, the the big boss guy that was interviewing me, um, I thought, wow, this guy is um, really, 
really, you know, he's got his head screwed on. Wow, what a guy. This guy's really successful. Um, and this guy was the guy that was meeting me at the at the meeting the next day. You know, like he 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 was the guy at the door, and and, and, it, and it freaked me out. Um, I felt very um, embarrassed, but he just, you know, he was just like another, as they say, bozo on the bus, and he welcomed me in there, and um, I felt um, extremely nervous at the time. But uh, yeah, it just kind of proved to me that, um, you know, my perception of these kind of these drunks out on the street uh, that was that was thrown out pretty immediately um looking around the room you know there's <laughs> a diversity of people and it's um quite amazing um yeah so yeah i i i, I struggle to share I'm, I'm more of a listener so today's a bit of a challenge for me to actually kind of sustain a you know a bit of a share but um uh i think it, like i've been sober for five years now and um um, at, at, at the beginning, it was it was easy to to share my story. You know, um, I, I had a, I had a lot that I had to get out, and um, and I had had a, you know I just had a, had a, had a, had a lot of enthusiasm. And um, but you know the thing about AA is that I, I've I've been going a um, hundred miles per hour all my life. You know, um, I've been an overachiever. I've been this person that just needs to be going forward and forward and forward and you know even to the point where it's self-destructive and um selfish and just but I'm, I'm i'm going for it all the time and with aa um you know i, I slowed down and and had to start to kind of um reflecting I, I couldn't numb my life with um with um substances and um i just found myself kind of in my own head and um and over the years, over the last couple of years, you know, things have been un- unraveling and, um, you know, getting to know myself and getting to know, understand, I suppose, why I ended up having to having to drink so much, why I was so lonely, why I was so bored. Um, all these things are, you know, just slowly... I, I feel sometimes I feel a bit silly because, you know, it, it, it takes a while for me to understand these things. Maybe if I went to more therapy or whatever, you know, it would speed things up, but I... You know, I've been to a few of those, um, a few therapists, and you know, tried a few things. But I must admit, like, I, 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 just, I didn't resonate with me. Maybe I just didn't get it. But um, sitting in the rooms and identifying with people, and talking to people, and hearing my story, and hearing how they deal with day to day life, it's helped me to kind of start to, um, I don't know, go on this kind of exploration, this kind of self exploration of like who I am, what's wrong with me. Um, why have I done the things I've done in the past? Why have I been like you know? Why, why have I behaved like I have? Uh, why have pe- why have I hurt people? Um, why have people left me? Why you know all these things in which I just couldn't see? I'm just slowly seeing more and more because um, I'm I know I'm 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 uh, there's a sense of clarity. Um, I'm clean. I'm. You know, I'm, I'm having to deal with everything uh, without, um, you know, hitting the booze on a Wednesday right through to Wednesday. <laughs> it, was, it was like at the end, I suppose. But, um, uh, yeah, so I remember last time I was here, um, a couple of years ago, I remember thinking, you know, um, I wasn't really thinking about the podcast, but I was thinking about, like, um, the me, you know, standing in, in my lounge listening to this radio show um, in, in, a, in a place of desperation and um, it would have been me getting up in the morning on a Saturday morning looking out the window you know 
my kids being young, um, you know, my, my wife there, and they're probably thinking, oh, he's looking out at the sea going, oh, yeah, you know, what a beautiful day. But I'd be thinking, how do I get drunk? How do I, um, how do I get more alcohol? Um, how do I hide the alcohol that I've drunk last night? Uh, how do I... Um, how do I somehow sleep that alcohol off so I can drink that night? And how can I fit my family into this? Um, and I was really, I was, I was, <laughs> these guys laugh, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing, but, uh, but yeah, I, I was able to do it every weekend, um, every day. And, um, I was, I was really good at that. You know, once again, I was a bit of an overachiever. I was really good at a lot of things. And, um, um, but, I was yeah. One thing I was really good at was is drinking and hiding it, and um, and being able to um, I don't know perform, you know, and be what I thought was a good dad, and and um, I think I was, you know, I, I I hid it from my children till the end, you know, um, I hid it from my wife for a very long time, um, and uh, you know, I'm sure some people can relate, um, being able to. You know, I sometimes think maybe she kind of swept it um, to the back of her mind, you know, but I was able to, like, get drunk every night and then be able to still um, function and hide it. And this went on for, like, three years at the end there. And and, 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 and doing that every day and, and hiding the bottles in the morning and um, lying about um, not being able to drive because I had a sore arm or uh, um, eating garlic. You know, I, I'm, I feel like I feel like I feel like I'm giving people's tips here. Um, <laughs> these are your alcoholic tips. Um, uh, and now for my next tip. No, but yeah, um, I'd, I'd I'd have a lot of garlic in my food just to hide the fact that I was um, hide the fact that I just sculled a um, a bottle of wine um, whilst I was cutting the wood, and that'll be my and that'll be my second bottle of wine. You know, and um, for the night, and I'll be eyeing up uh, another bottle of wine and maybe a half a bottle of scrumpy at the end of the night because I'd go out and cut more wood. And I did this, I just did this for years and years and years and years and I was and, and during those years I was, a, I was I felt like I was a really good dad. Um, I you know I I was pretty high up where I was working. I you know I, I was highly functional. I was um I did a lot of cycling. Um, I I was pretty fit, you know, I went to the gym. But, you know, um, I look back on all this and I think to myself, well, when you were cycling in the weekend, yeah, you'd cycle for like maybe four hours out into the country, but you'd also have a bottle of scrumpy while you're doing it, you know. And then I look further back and I think, okay, when I used to um, bike around, um, I I used to cycle around uh, countries overseas, but I'd be, um, you know, smoking pot, taking mushrooms, (laughs) drinking... The whole time, and you know, so it's that's insanity. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I what I've done is I've surround like I I, I find it hard to um, with the God thing, you know. But I I do know that um, I do understand the concept of there being a higher power, something greater than you, and it's not you, you know, because I I can't think for myself, like as in you know, the things that I've tried to stop alcohol or to um, to manage it. Um, has not worked. Um, I do um, believe that um, I, 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 I turn up to meetings enough and I surround myself with alcoholics enough to know that um, uh, that the fellowship works. Um, and even if it's just 
being amongst that, throwing yourself into that side of things, that's that's enough for me, and that's kept me sober for five years. But I was sober for eight years once, <laughs> and um, I was a dry drunk, in which it was um, shared before. And um, I know that you need to keep keep on coming back, and um, you need to put some some of that spirituality into your life. So. I've surrounded myself with um, alcoholics. They're my best friends. Um, I've, I've, I've created these obstacles, you know, making it harder for me to get back to alcohol. Um, and, and, and now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. You know, I've, I've got a lot of ch- um, challenges in my life, but I'm able, over to, um, able to um, deal with those because I've got a, um, a clearer mind. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and um, I'm, I'm up here. I'm up here, so, you know, Saturday morning I'm not drinking, not thinking about where to get my alcohol, and um, hanging out with Alkies, so it's good. <laughs> Thanks, awesome. Thanks, Thanks Wayne. Wayne. All right, you've been listening to uh, Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM, and this is Alcoholics Anonymous <coughs> meeting on air. So I'll just quickly, uh, it's been a great meeting, and really enjoyed the sharing, and I'll, I'll just run through how to get in touch with AA again. So <coughs> the website for in New Zealand, aa.org.nz, uh, there's lots of information on there about uh, alcoholism and, and how to get in, uh, to a meeting. That's um, that's the best place to go is to a meeting. Um, so, yeah, well, that's, um, this is, we'll, we'll leave it there and um, we'll, we'll just all, all um, join together and, um, and we'll say the serenity prayer. So if you'd like to all join me. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. God. God. program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.